Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 752. Shaheen paused in her tale and gave a word of explanation. You should know that in those days, use of the bow was very common. The skill of it was much prized. We were shepherds and much set on by our enemies, and the bow was the best tool we had to defend ourselves. Shaheen leaned back in her chair and continued. Aether did not set out to found a school. There were no schools in those days. He merely sought to improve his skill. All his will he bent upon this until he could shoot an apple from a tree one hundred feet away. Then he strove until he could shoot the wick of a burning candle. Soon the only target that challenged him was a piece of hanging silk blowing in the wind. Aether strove until he could anticipate the turning of the wind, and once he had mastered this thing, he could not miss. Stories of his talent spread, and others came to him. Among them was a young woman named Retha. At first Aether doubted she possessed the strength to draw the bow, but she was soon regarded as his finest student. As I have said, this was long years and distant miles from where we sit, in those days, the Adem did not have the Lathani to guide us, and so it was a rough and bloody time. In those days, it was not uncommon for one Adem to kill another out of pride, or from an argument, or as a proof of skill. Since Aether was the greatest of archers, many challenged him, but a body is nothing of a target when one can strike silk blowing in the wind. Aether slew them easily as cutting wheat. He took only a single arrow with him to a duel, and claimed if that single arrow was not enough, he deserved to be struck down. Aether grew older, and his fame spread. He put down roots and began the first of the Adem schools. Years passed, and he trained many Adem to be deadly as knives. It became well known that if you gave Aether's students three arrows and three coins, your three worst enemies would never bother you again. So... The school grew rich and famous and proud, and so did Aether. It was then that Aretha came to him, Aretha his best student, Aretha who stood nearest his ear and closest to his heart. Aretha spoke to Aether, and they disagreed. Then they argued. Then they shouted loud enough that all the school could hear it through the thick stone walls. And at the end of it, Aretha challenged Aether to a duel. Aether accepted and it was known that the winner would control the school from that day forth. As the challenged, Aether chose his place first. He chose to stand among a grove of young and swaying trees that gave him shifting cover. Normally... The page ended. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick, and two things jump out at me on this page. Shall I leap right into them? By all means. Aether sounds like he can name the wind, wouldn't you say? Indeed. It does feel that way. And that might be how one would interpret those things, or, you know, if one used his mastery, their mastery of the wind, to win duels uh, with shot arrows. Uh, so it could be that Retha, Retha, as Jeremy likes to say, is a namer, and that this dates back to the Creation War. Could it perhaps be another metaphor for the Creation War? Hard to say. Because, point number two, it is not part of the subject of this story what they argue about. It is completely glossed over. It is not important at all. The fact is they argue and they fight a duel to the death. But what it is that they fight over is not part of the story. And I find that very interesting because wouldn't you think that's an important part of the story? 
important context? Yeah, I mean, I think that we are meant to think that it is this this kind of cavalier and mercenary attitude that Aetha takes towards the teaching of his skill to other people. I think that we are meant to understand that Raytha comes to him and says, hey, we have all this power, but we're not using it very responsibly. I don't think we should be teaching our skills in this way and just letting people pay us to murder people all the time. Like, that's not cool. I think that's what we're meant to understand. But that could be a misdirect. That could not be what they're talking about. Or it could be that that is a thing that the Adem have come to t- understand f- from hearing this story, but it may not have been the actual subject because, you know, reading this book, we often get details of a story wherein the actual details are very, very different or the actual context rather quite different than the realities of the story. Mm-hmm. Aetha and Raetha to me remind me of Romulus and Remus or other, you know, brothers who have similar names or no brothers, but like siblings or, or characters in stories. Yeah, totally. And this this whole story does really have the air of particularly to me a Greek myth, maybe because it's about hubris and and tragedy, like it's kind of Orpheus and Eurydice in that way or like uh, Athene um punishing uh, Arachne. Like it, it's definitely like he's he's uh he's arrogant, he's not learning a lesson and he o- will only learn it at great cost to himself. It seems more like an Eastern parable to me, like uh, the prideful samurai, you know, and, and the poet and that those, those kind of tragedies. It's a bit less Grecian because, well, I mean, I suppose all tragedies are uh, all tragedies are valid, as we're fond of saying on this podcast. <laughs> Something uh, I was thinking as you were reading this page is that uh, I sort of just started to accept like Aetha and Raetha as the names in this read because that's how you're saying them. But if I think about it, that's not how I read these their names. Well, I I read them eight like like the T H E as the like like as like the word the like okay. the but the um which is probably not correct, but it ends up being like A the and Rathi. I think that's perfectly cromulent. And this reminds me of another word that ends with T H E, who are also feared and skilled archers. The Sitha. Yeah, interesting, mm. huh? What if they're both Sitha? Wait, mm. Sitha doesn't end with an A? No. no, it ends with an E. Oh, fuck. And it only ends with an E because someone told Patrick Rothfuss, just so you know, the, fifth, the Sith are a thing in Star Wars, and he was like, God damn it. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, the reason that I'm saying it the way I'm saying it is kind of maybe because I have Greek myth on the brain, because Greek words, when when they're tra- like transliterated into into English, uh, like the goddess Athena, sometimes you'll see her name spelled with an E on the end rather than an A. But my understanding is that a Greek, you know, a, a reader of ancient Greek would say, uh, like the, the, the sound there is like an uh sound. So it's Athena or mm. Ath- Athena rather than Athene, if you, if you see what I mean. Interesting to me, Nick, that you brought up the samurai because uh, something that we I kind of meant to bring up on the previous page, and it's it's relevant on this page as well. Before the samurai were known as uh, their signature weapon being the katana and the wakizashi, uh, in kind of pre medieval Japan, the samurai class were mounted archers. 
and their signature weapon was like a bow that they shot from horseback. Interesting that far back in the Edemic past, they were famous archers. And uh, furthermore, furthermore, Shaheen says, we were shepherds and much set upon by our enemies. And I have been making the point that sheep and goats seem pretty central to the uh, the daily life of the Adem even today. And you know what other famous mounted archery culture was feared far and wide throughout the world back in the day who also were a pastoral herding culture? The Dothraki. Uh, yes, I know, I know but also, also... I know this one. I know this one. Is it the Mongols? That is correct. Yay! Ding, ding, ding! Jordana just nailing it with the quizzes today. Yeah. Indeed. That's a reference to uh, a Patreon episode that we also recorded today. That's right. In which I kick butt. Indeed. <laughs> Spoilers. We have encountered <laughs> this name before. Uh, the The name Aetha is one of the schools. It is, in fact, uh, apparently the oldest of the Adem schools, which Vashit lists. The Pass of the Sword Tree, the Latantha, is, quote, one of the oldest behind the Aetha and the Aratan. Cool. So it seems that Aetha is the first, is the oldest school, and it's still taught. Mm-hmm. And presumably it still teaches archery. Maybe. we. Had, I don't think we've encountered a, a bow atom, but that's uh, an interesting mm-hmm. thing to consider that they like have different weapons based on their schools. Well, we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't advanced our tech tree enough to get bow atom. We're, right now we, we only have joy atom and sword atom. Right, right. We didn't invest in that, uh, yeah, mm. our skill points. Yeah, but I mean, it's not good to, to split, right? If you're if you're going to focus on melee, it doesn't make sense to put points into, into ranged combat. Yeah, one of the many things I find frustrating about that kind of construction of RPGs is like, if you want to get, you have to like specialize and get really good at one thing, because being a jack of all <laughs> trades eventually just like doesn't do the much good The eight of our min-maxed, though. <laughs> That's yeah, true. I was, say, I was like, I feel like there's min-maxing <laughs> happening here. Yeah, the Adam yeah. are a min-max class. They have they, they put less points into charisma. And <laughs> they put way less points into charisma. <laughs> wow, rude. <laughs> they get like a minus two to diplomacy for being secretive. Um, on the page, uh, three is happening a lot in that one little section mm-hmm. that feels worth mentioning, but not necessarily pertinent. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like the cadence of a story. Yeah, three is a resonant number in storytelling. And it's especially resonant when you see them like back to back. Like that's that's just like good rhetoric. If you asked a Roman rhetorician, they would tell you that this was good rhetoric. Cool. I'm cool. trying to come up with a way to get to a joke where you're picking between two people named Rick and Rhett. Mm. Rhett or so Rick, yes. Rhett or Rick, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I'm gonna have to work on that. I'm gonna have to workshop that a little bit. Cool. I'll take it to uh, open mic night and <laughs> incorporate it into your tight five. Yeah, exactly. We have a letter today. Mailbag. This letter is from Manuel, who writes on page 705, a ring unworn. I don't know why, but this never jumped out at me before on my several read-throughs of this book. I heard the Trooper Kid's lackless door riddle rhyme as if for the first time when you read it. A ring unworn could be interpreted as a ring not meant to be worn. We know of three types of rings that are not meant for wearing. Wood, horn, and bone. 
Quoth receives just such a ring from Lady Lackless, but I am thinking wood is not the right type. Since it wasn't made of horn, I guess she is willing to forget him rather than try to get him killed. He also receives a ring not meant to be worn from Stapes. The one from Stapes is bone and lies opposite the horn ring on the continuity of favor that exists outside of the normal ring game. Brayden said that bone rings were traditionally carved from the bones of an ancestor. Perhaps a bone ring carved from some dead and dusty lackless is one of the items needed to open the door. P.S. I wanted to thank you for the offhand mention of Letterkenny some time ago. I watched it all and then watched Shorzy also. I learned so much about Canadians and ostriches, bracket, three-man job for sure, close bracket, and enjoyed every minute of it. I'm glad you enjoyed those shows. We have not watched them. We're only dimly aware of them, so I do not get that reference at the end. But I love your insight here. I think it's also very important because the ring on Warren, that very sentiment shows up in the other version of the lackless rhyme. And I think that if we compare the two versions of the rhyme, we can parse out which parts of it are truth, which parts of it are just like details that have been injected to make the rhyme work. Because, you know, two different things diverge from the same source of truth seems to me that you can glean some of the truth from that. The Ring on Warren being one of those. I, I have comments, but not to do with the page. More to do with the mention of Letterkenny. <laughs> Go, Go on, for man. it. That's on the letter. Well, <laughs> so, firstly, it concerns me that they're like, oh, yes, I've learned about more about Canadians from watching Letterkenny. Not that I've seen all of Letterkenny, but my understanding of it and the understanding that people who I know who have watched it get from it... Um, both of the people who have watched it grew up in small towns in, in Ontario. And uh, they talk about how Letterkenny is like a pretty accurate depiction of small towns, but makes no sense the minute you bring it into like a more city atmosphere. Um, and I had one friend describe it as people from the States like it because they look at it and they go, oh, look, Canada has rednecks too. They're just cuter. Yeah. And that makes me like a little concerned. <laughs> Maybe. I think some of the appeal of Letterkenny is that it's about like they have sophistication also, but they also kind of have like their their country folksy style. That's my understanding anyway. I haven't I've not really watched it with ever with, with much attention. But like but, and I don't think I think unlike Trailer Park Boys, it's not which is also a show that is like good. I'm not saying Trailer Park is bad, but it's sort of like you could lump them in together and I don't think it would be right because Trailer Park Boys they're like the object of ridicule. And in Letterkenny, they are the slobs who beat the snobs. They are like the, like the sophisticated, the no less intelligent, just like not, uh, they don't have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't have pretensions. That does Whereas, sound positive. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the appeal is that it is quite positive. I, I, did, I just, I hesitate, boys, I hesitate like, to encourage anyone to think that like all Canadians are like Letterkenny. I don't <laughs> hesitate to encourage that. In <laughs> fact, I, I would go further and say that you should, your mental picture of what Canada is like should be made up entirely from things you've seen on television. So Letterkenny, Trailer Park Boys, Bob and Doug McKenzie. Uh, we do all have flapping heads and little beady eyes like they do on South Park. Uh, what else do we got? Oh, yeah, Corner Gas, the worst TV show ever made. Um, it's all true, all of it. I know someone who worked on Corner Gas. They should be punished. Yeah, if you know anybody in the Canadian film industry, the animated you know version, though, not, not the real on... one. Oh, oh never mind. They should be double punished. Yeah. <laughs> Is it that bad? Yes. <laughs> 
Well, to be fair, uh, they didn't write any of it. They were just an animator. <laughs> yeah, listeners, watch, uh, seek out and watch Canadian shows, but not Letterkenny. No, I mean, not, <laughs> no, I mean yes, Letterkenny, not Corner Gas. Don't yeah. do it. It's really bad. Letterkenny, yay, strings, slings and arrows, yay. What about that gas, one that has Simu uh, uh, Liu in it about the about Yeah, the Kim's Convenience. Story? Kim's Convenience season one through season 1.75 are quite good. Well, I have walked by go. that convenience store once. <laughs> I you used see... to live right down the road from it. It's very iconic. Did you see Simu Liu? No. All right. It's not like well, he lives there. What? Lis- <laughs> listeners, we will be keeping an eye out for famous Canadians on tomorrow's page. Uh... Have I ever name dropped on the podcast before that I used to do improv with Simu? Yes. <gasps> what? I don't think I was I there for that episode. That sounds exciting. Although it's possible I might have forgotten. Anyway, I'm very impressed. I mean, you probably like met him because you probably met us oh when God. we were out drinking sometime. That would be really funny. Because we <laughs> would go out after improv and go drinking. I know Jeremy came out a couple times. To, yeah, I did. Like, drink with the improv troupe. Yeah, so I think I've only come to drink with your improv troupe like once or twice. But I do recall doing it. Someone say yeah, the wind. So you might have the wind. The wind! <laughs>